Anyone here for the very first time? Show of hands, please. Okay. Are you also new to this form of meditation, to insight meditation? No? No. So you've done it elsewhere. Okay. How many people have uh, been, the talks that I've been giving uh, over a period of, I don't know, it seems like a few years, uh, having to do with uh, self-knowing, a quiet passion, learning how to live. Uh, how many people have come to at least one of those? Okay, okay the, the, uh, how many of you re uh, read the brochure to know what the title is tonight? I wish it wasn't there, because, but okay. Uh, is it possible to remain sane in an insane society? Uh, <clears throat> I will approach that um, from the same perspective that we've been developing, which has to do with um, self-knowing, self-understanding. Um, and the, the terms are rather dramatic. Uh, who's to define what sanity is? and how to maintain sanity. But um, somehow the title did come from me in a weak moment or something, and <laughs> there it is. Uh, so let me start with a, a, a very large canvas, uh, but uh, move, I think, fairly quickly to one that's uh, not abstract at all. Maybe this large canvas won't be abstract for you. For me, it isn't. But I know it um, can be taken that way. Um, if you read uh, the teachings of the Buddha uh, that go back 2,600 years, for that matter, read any of the religions or, or history, it seems like the human race has always been suffering. So what's the fuss now? It's always been insane. It's always been a challenge to hold your head above water. Otherwise, why would religions exist? The religions are here to help us. So uh, why make such a fuss? Everything's always been impermanent, always changing, always changing in an uncertain way. People have always been greedy, power-hungry, um, confused, deluded, attached to their land or their property or the name of their religion or some ethnic group. If you read, a friend of mine many years ago tried an experiment and we just opened, there's a, a very, very thick history of the world, a thousand pages or more. We just would open it up and just stick our finger in at random. There was always wars going on, different people doing each other in. The alliances change but the self-interest doesn't seem to. It always seems to be someone against someone. So what's the fuss? Just because we're living now, what are we, big crybabies? <laughs> you know, the Buddha's been talking about this. Well, I think things have changed. <clears throat> um, although everyone's been uh, aggressive in, the, in Buddhist language or the Dharma language, uh, greed, hatred, and delusion, 
don't seem to go out of style. The content varies, and the expression of it, whether you're living in a, a tr living tribal life, living in a palace, living in a hovel, it seems like we humans start that way. It seems to be the curriculum. Um, and so since, as far as we know, uh, people were killing each other off, fighting with each other with clubs, and bow and arrows, and swords, and knives, and then it became guns. Uh, and science came along, and technology. And the scale of understanding of the, the, the workings of the physical universe uh, became so brilliant. And the technology that came out of it has created, unleashed uh, an extraordinary power now, so that it's no longer uh, tribal warfare, or you could say it's still tribal, just more sophisticated, uh, but we could destroy each other, the whole planet. It's become a planetary issue, in addition to all the ecological stuff that we hear. Uh, and, of course, another new ingredient is the media. People are more literate, and even if you're not literate, there's TV. Uh, so science and technology have made a huge change by the way in which it's been used, by the way in which it's been used, particularly in, this, in the development of uh, weapons that, are, uh, that can vaporize a whole uh, millions of people. And the way it's going, it seems like eventually everyone will have access to it. Plus the planet itself is endangered. So it all seems to be one thing. And you could look at it as greed, hatred, delusion, uh, from the point of view of Dharma, we use a term called wisdom. You could call it intelligence. Um, when, we, when we speak what we have valued, one explanation for uh, how the technology could become so staggeringly powerful and the level of wisdom so tr tiny, or is the gap between the power that's available and the wisdom that informs the people who have the power is the gap is like Grand Canyon. Uh, to put it another way, it doesn't seem as if we have developed very much wisdom in thousands of years. That's a very uh, sad commentary. Does it always have to be that way? Is it, maybe this is the curriculum. If you arrive on planet Earth, it's, it's the way, it, this is what you have to learn over and over and over. It doesn't matter. But for one reason or another, certainly, uh, without going into why this might be in there, endless speculations, this is where we find ourselves. All of us, we actually live in this world just as it is. It's really true. The thing, uh, of course, we get uh, partial views of it from the media. But certainly, uh, a lot of it has some truth in it. So this is the world that we live in. It's a fact. And um, we've learned how to, if not master, to almost the air. We can fly. We can go under the ocean. Uh, we can't live with one another. It seems like we just don't know how to do that. Not only that, we don't seem to priority, give it much priority. The results speak rather dramatically. When we say somebody is very intelligent, what we mean is that perhaps they know a lot and they're sharp. They can 
uh, put things together in certain ways, and they can do very some wonderful and creative things. Uh, some of the extraordinary uh, achievements of science have gone beyond science fiction, and it's not stopping, it's going. So when we think of somebody who's, I went to the University of Chicago, and there, just uh, in many ways to talk about this, the whole point was to be uh, well-read and sharp. Otherwise, you were a nobody. Not only that, you had to have lots of views and opinions, and ideally different than the ones your friends had or the teachers had, and better. Um, so that was an intelligent person. You talk about somebody, wow, that person's really bright. That professor is brilliant. Maybe we've defined intelligence unintelligently in that we've given so much credit and energy and such a high priority to granted a beautiful human quality, the use of the rational mind, the use of the brain in certain ways. This is not to debunk thought or knowledge or universities or science. Of course, if we go in a more uh, cultural direction, which I don't want to do tonight, uh, how it's been used is another matter. But apparently, we have not given priority to wisdom and liberation. We just haven't. Now, there have been cultures where that isn't so, where, like ancient cultures, certainly in India, and some of the, uh, not just in Asia, but there have been times when a tremendous importance was given to self-understanding and wisdom. But it was then delegated to a very small number of people. They would do it, and everyone else would support them. Priests, monks, yogis, nuns, hermits, go off to caves or monasteries, and the rest of us yo-yos work our head off to pay the bills so that they can live in their cave in style or their monastery. But the main point is not so much that, is that somehow there are rare individuals who can do this, and the rest of us, uh, it's defined in such a way, so of course it turns out to be that way. Now what may be unprecedented, I don't have some new age, we're heading into the age of uh, consciousness, there's a lot of, to me, stuff out there, either uh, from some of the orthodox religions, the end of the world is coming, I have no idea, or the beginning of a new fantastic uh, enlightenment where everyone is awake, uh, there are some people, perhaps you've read them, be nice, I don't see signs of it, but uh, I'm not going to hold my breath to see if that happens. Um, but what we have not done is, for example, you wouldn't hear parents uh, say, oh, I'm just thrilled. Johnny or Janie really wants to just devote their life, and not become a monk or a nun or a hermit. They really think the most important thing is to go deeply into themselves and get free of suffering. And then, of, then be of service to others. But if we find out, oh, uh, Johnny or Janie want to be doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs. Uh, I guess I can't say that anymore. Is that politically incorrect? I'm terrified of opening my mouth. Because if you come from Brooklyn, almost everything you say is politically incorrect. And I've had to work hard on myself. But uh, I have a ways to go. Native Americans. Is that, that's better. You know. um, I don't know why that's used, but um, what may be happening now, is, be is certainly in the modern world, in the West, is that because of leisure, education, who knows what, 
there are plenty of people. Some of you are here tonight. Uh, you have no aspirations to be monks and nuns. Some of you may. We may discover that you want to. Wonderful. But probably most of us here and wherever we go, that isn't what we want to do. And yet, uh, perhaps we have families, we need to work, we need to support a family, or we'd like to. We'd like to get into a relationship if we're not in one, or out of one if we're in one. Uh, and the monastic life doesn't appeal to us. Uh, however, getting free does. So uh, maybe there's something new going on. I honestly don't know. But uh, there are a lot, there's a lot of energy. Certainly in America, and my friends in Europe tell me it's the same thing. People who are lay people who normally would not be doing this, let's say two and three generations ago, are doing this at the same time that they're raising families, going to school, holding down responsible jobs, etc. Maybe that's different. I honestly don't know. But it seems to me that um, each one of us has an opportunity to close that gap. Perhaps some of you are scientists and, and uh, highly skilled in some field. I hope so. This is not to put that down. Uh, but if you don't go deep inside, if you don't develop some level of wisdom, my guess is there's a good chance that there'll be a lack of fulfillment that you will come upon if you're young, maybe not yet, but at a certain point, outer achievements, as wonderful as they are, seem to have some limitations. And many, many human beings from all walks of life, of all economic strata, talk about loneliness, talk about um, emptiness, not Buddhist emptiness, talk about uh, un, uh, un, a feeling of incompleteness. And we go about trying to correct that by accumulating, doing more in the outer world, getting better jobs, better partners, better uh, clothing, better place to live. Uh, and it takes sometimes our life is over by the time we realize that that's just more of the same. And then what isn't known, part of what is ignorance, from, remember this is from a Buddhist point of view. Some of you are very new here, or perhaps relatively new to Dharma, I don't think what I'm saying is so uniquely Buddhist. Uh, some of it may be, but this is not an attempt to, to convert anyone to Buddhism, but to sanity. Or, obviously, in, from my point of view, because I'm completely sane. <laughs> yeah. A few of you know that's not true. Um, one meaning of ignorance of course, uh, it's quite related to ignore. That is, uh, crucial to wisdom is self-understanding. So an ignorant person, in the conventional sense, would be someone, let's say, who's illiterate. It might be. Or somebody who's not gone to school very much and hasn't read much and doesn't know much, doesn't have lots of highly valued information in their brain. And I have met very, very wise people, a few, who are illiterate. And uh, I would say that, and of course, did they understand themselves? Tremendously so. That's why I sought them out. One in Korea, a couple in Korea, uh, and elsewhere. Uh, so that ignorance, 
from a Dharma point of view, is ignorance of self-understanding. You really, we, don't understand ourselves very well. So is it any wonder that the world looks like this? Because we want peace in the world. Pray for peace, meditate on peace. Everyone, we want to do all kinds of things, organizations and treaties and conferences. But are we at peace? The world is made up of us, it's just people. If we're not at peace, if we're full of conflict, uh, how do we expect the world to suddenly magically, made up of other people who are conflict-ridden, who don't know themselves very well, how do we expect real peace to come? We can get temporary lulls in ignorance and the kinds of action that flow from ignorance. Very egocentric, self-centered, including nations. But it's not, it doesn't last. World War I was the war to end all wars. Doesn't seem so. So, uh, one of the meanings of ignorance is to ignore yourself, is to ignore how you live, to ignore self-understanding. Another is, and this is a, a very, very powerful one, very powerful is the wrong word, profound, uh, meaning of it, is that we're ignorant of our full potential as humans. Um, each one of us, without exception, has enormous potential. And if we throw away all the trappings of religions and spirituality, even that word I'm not crazy about, but I don't have a better one, all human beings uh, have a depth that's infinite, uh, that's clouded over by a preoccupation with what we've been told is the limit of human achievement and understanding. So we're trying to think our way to happiness. We're trying to uh, acquire our way to happiness. And we don't know, that's fine too. It's have a good home, get a good education. It's not that. It's that we don't know there's anything else. And so fortunately we have a, a bumper stickers. There's one on that street, whatever the name, Amory, I'm not sure. Uh, it says, don't believe everything you think. That to me is revolutionary. I don't, I don't know if the person who owns that car knows what they're saying, but if they're doing it, they're, wow, I, I want to I know them. Uh, because the, it's unexamined. Ignorance in this sense is that we've ignored how the mind works, how life is lived. Personally, not from a book, not from a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a Dharma teacher. Uh, the kind of knowledge I'm talking about or understanding is firsthand. The only one who can do it is you, for you, and me, for me. There's no other way. Everything else is about. You can read, we have a nice library downstairs. I think it is. I'm the head librarian, <laughs> which means really, in parentheses, the only librarian, because there's no one else. But uh, it's a pretty good library. I'm sure there are better ones, but it's pretty good. If you read every book in there and understood it, uh, it wouldn't necessarily make much difference. And you wouldn't really understand what the Buddha is saying. Because the Buddha again and again and again is turning our attention back to ourselves. The suffering comes out of the human heart, right here, right now, and the liberation comes from the same place. It's not on the other side of something or on t over a cloud or anything of that sort. By the way, since there's a lot in the news on God, not God, and all the rest of it, the Buddha doesn't take a position. 
He doesn't say there is God or there isn't God. It's called a non-theistic religion. He didn't use that term. I mean, other people are classifying it as... He didn't say, well, I'm here to teach a non-theistic religion. Uh, he just taught Dharma, which is premised on the ability of a person to develop uh, that their mind has quite a bit of potential, much more than we ever thought. Now the uh, scientists are finding out uh, uh, neuro, uh, what are they, plasticity of brain cells. Have you heard that term? There are people just maybe a few years ago, neurologists, who felt uh, the, brain, the cells stop, brain cells, the brain stops, just the way your height does at a certain point. And people in the ancient teachers have been saying for a long time, one of my teachers, and I read something he said in the 1930s in an exchange with the scientists, that's obviously not true. If you've done any uh, depth in meditation, you can feel that your brain is changing. And now it's being documented. You can actually see it with all the equipment that we have. So uh, what, I'm, uh, what I'd like to say, and, if, and for me, uh, I'll say a bit more. And then in what I feel would be most valuable is when we start talking to each other because if we say, is it possible to be sane in an insane world? Fine, that's a nice question. But it comes down to us, our life. And even if there were no nuclear threat, even if there were no terrorists, even if there was no global warming, even if there was no pollution, etc., etc., you just read the ancient books, people were suffering anyway. So now, on top of, uh, this is from my neighbor. Uh, I live in a three-story, I guess it's three condos, and she had some roofer. And the roofer completely botched the job, was fixing her roof, completely botched the job, charged a lot of money. Uh, it was just, and she, she flipped out one time, and her roommate just said, please come up, and a number of us, we went up and tried to calm her down. And she had just heard a program on global warming, and on, so it was like, the global warming plus this roofer, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, so what, do we, what to do? What, what to do? So in addition to all just the ordinary troubles that we humans have with each other, and the body, uh, independent of our wish, seems to age, doesn't it? Some of you here must know that. Some of you are young. Uh, you're deluded, but you'll find out. <laughs> you can't help it. It goes with, uh, is, what was it, Mark Twain? Youth is wasted on young people, but okay. Um, the body ages, it grows ill, and it dies. And uh, there's nothing we can do about it. It's irreversible. Uh, there are these societies, uh, to, uh, the war against aging. They sent me letters, you know, to sit so I could contribute. I'm not at war with aging. I mean, what would that look like? And who's going to win? <laughs> Without getting political, it sounds like what's being talked about winning by a certain president or by a certain war in a certain place. But I don't want to, I'm not the kind of guy who brings politics into a Dharma talk. Um, so then finally, each of us uh, is experiencing a world. Our world is what it is. There may be people who couldn't care, could care less about global warming. Or see 
those young men and women who die in the flash at the end of news in the war, and, and they're 18 years old and 19 years old, and we tear up and we feel badly for them, and then we go to the mall. And next, you know, it's like something is going on over there. So, really, the question of stability, of maintaining your balance, of independent of what happens, because here's a law that, as far as I can tell, uh, seems true. Everything is changing. And have you noticed? And it can, it's going to keep being like that. That's not going to change. And it changes in uncertain ways. It's not going to change necessarily the way we want it to. The world is not a dependable place, even without terrorists. Now, there are the joys of life and there are the sorrows. It's part of life. It's always been so, and it's not changing. It's now, but now we have a unique mix. But then again, life is just life. This is our life. It's to be lived. And each one of us uh, needs to... T if you, by the way, of course, what's being suggested here is that some of what we can learn by doing this practice and other related practice, we don't have a monopoly on, on this at 331 Broadway. That would be ridiculous. Uh, but some of the things that you can learn here, and I see uh, Cambridge Insight Meditation Center as basically a school. It's a kind of school for adult re-education uh, to help us uh, rehabilitate ourselves. I'm a recovering ex-intellectual. I, I don't know what your problem is. Uh, you're supposed to announce that when you're with people. I'm Larry, and I'm, and I'm a, a, a chronic intellectual, but I'm recovering. Um, What's being suggested here is that there's a, there are, we're not helpless. That uh, some of the methods and teachings that are available, and it's for you to try it and find out, actually help us develop inner strength. And this inner strength, uh, which is inseparable from clarity. What I've been trying to emphasize in however long it's been, maybe more, 20 or more talks, has been... The key of the practice, at least for me, is the ability to see clearly, accurately, particularly inside, and to learn from what we see and hear, both externally and internally. The interest in learning here is to, is to this is a wisdom path. Vipassana is a wisdom path. That means what frees us is understanding. To begin with, it's verbal. You can get it from books, and it's helpful. Theor it's theoretical, and it can be inspiring and point us in a good direction. But finally, and the Buddha goes over this again and again and again, uh, the teachings have to be tested in the fire of your own life, each one of us. You can get inspired by reading some of the books in the library. They're well-written. They talk about beautiful qualities that humans can attain. Any one of us can. But it's about someone else, and it's about... And what the encouragement is, it's about, this is all about us. The most important book to read is the book of you, the book of me. Okay, so let's assume the world continues to roll on, being undependable, uncertain, impermanent, full of, look, six, I think there are approximately six billion people on this planet, and there are going to be many more if things keep going the way they are. And that means six billion egos. Can you imagine that? 
six billion egos all uh, bobbing and weaving and milling about and looking for better deals to improve this and improve that and imitate that one and get a better economic system, a stronger military and become the one superpower I thought we were, no, the Chinese and that, you know. Uh, so it just rolls on and on. Uh, so we don't know what is here and what's to come in a certain sense. But there is a, a all of spiritual life, it's hardly limited to Buddhism, all of real religious life, I don't mean institutional religion or organized religion, which to my mind, I have a prejudice, it's a curse. It has caused more suffering than anything else. That's not the religious heart. That has been destroyed, or certainly to a great extent damaged. Uh, but there have always been individuals who have understood what's really important. Um, that is about developing inner strength. And the inner strength is something that not only enables you to live in a fulfilled way, no matter what the times are, no matter what the condition of your body is, and as a result, to be of some help to all those who are in your life with you. Some years ago, I don't know if you uh, remember the boat people, people who were desperately trying to escape from Vietnam. And um, one, uh, what, um, what they discovered was that many of the boats, as you know, capsized. They didn't make it. Many, many times the boats, many people died. But a boat had a better chance of surviving, a much better chance of surviving, if at least one person on the boat could remain calm and clear. If one person could remain calm and clear, the entire ship had a better chance of surviving when they would go through horrible conditions on the ocean. Uh, as I see it, that one person is you, and that's me. Uh, so this is quite a promise that practice is making. Let me, uh, I've always loved this, it's from uh, Rumi, who was a great Sufi mystic. And it's called A Quiet Space. Uh, and it's easily misunderstood. Let the landscape be covered with thorny crust. We have a soft garden in here. The continents blasted, cities and little towns, everything becomes a scorched, blackened ball. The news, the news we hear is full of grief for that future. But the real news inside here is there's no news at all. Um, there is a place, it's not really a place, but language is limited, that each of us has access to where there's no news. It's not uh, conditioned. It has nothing to do with our cultural conditioning, where you were born, what school you went to, uh, you, who, who rejected you, who loved you, who didn't love you, how many children you did or didn't have, or the whole biographical story. There's a depth that is prior to all of that, that we all have access to. Now what Rumi is talking about, whether you call it liberation or God or whatever language you like, it's sometimes called the inconceivable. I like that because words can't possibly grasp it. The Buddha was wise enough when asked about what's the nature of the original mind. He only said, use one word a few times, not often, radiant. The Tibetans have gone into a little more detail and others, but not much because it's not about words. So that means there is some place that has depth that's in the midst of what's going on, 
but it also is untouched by it. Uh, now, it can be, there are, long before we tap anything like that, just simple concentrate. For those who've been meditating a while, just take simple breathing, breath awareness. Probably most of you, if not all of you, know what that is. As you do that for a while and it becomes more continuous, uh, you, um, all of our worries and concerns and preoccupations go into abeyance. They temporarily drop away. And that's important to remember, temporarily. We become absorbed in something inside, and there can be tremendous joy and peace, and sometimes psychic skills, abilities grow out of it naturally. And it's a tremendous factor in rejuvenating us. And it's a sanctuary that you can go to when you need it. However, what typically happens is people taste that, and they mistake that for wisdom or for liberation. All that's happened is temporarily, all of our stuff, that self-knowledge, self-understanding, is designed to see, to face, to see through, and to let go of, to uproot. That's not dealt with. It's just temporarily you become absorbed in the breath, or a mantra, or whatever you want, an image of the Buddha, or some, you know, they're endless, what you can take, Coca-Cola, whatever it is that does it for you. Okay. Uh, but then that is the deepest. What Rumi is talking about is not that. Although that is very, very helpful if you know how to use it. That means ordinary people like ourselves can learn how to drop into some degree of peace and take and recharge ourselves, refresh ourselves, and then re-enter. Maybe there's family trouble. Maybe someone who's lo who we love is, is dying. Maybe we lost our job. Maybe we can't pay the mortgage. All the things that, or, or the, we're immigrants. You know, all, you know what's going on, okay? Uh, we see Al Gore's film, you know, just all of this coming at us. Uh, it's nice if we have access to an inside, so I don't have a better word for it, where the mind can, in a sense, bathe in some silence. And it's factual. Any of you have tasted it. And I think many of you have, even if it's just for a few seconds. And that's why you come back. It feels good. The, part of the reason is we stop thinking. And what are we thinking about all the time? Me. How I used to be. How I am now. How I will be. <laughs> Imagining all kinds of disasters, apprehensions. Wonderful, extraordinary. If I do this, then when I finish my degree, get that promotion, marry that person, uh, move to that area, then everything is just going to be fantastic. Is it? <laughs> Have you found that to be true? I didn't. Okay, so this is useful, but insight meditation and all wisdom teachings, all, in other words, seeing insightfully that quality of awareness that faces our fear. Fear of what's going on right now. Fear of what's happening in your life, even if we didn't have global problems. There are ways of facing fear, of facing loneliness, of, how, of taking care of it so that in the process of doing that, and in order to do that, it's helpful, maybe necessary, for the mind to be trained. That is, you can't really look at fear if your mind is all over the place. So that's why we value a concentrated mind. It's not in and of itself to set some record for the most uh, continuous breaths without being missed, you know, some Olympic record for, it's not about that. 
it's to put the mind in such a condition so it's fit to then look at loneliness, to look at fear, and not just on the cushion, but bring it into daily life so that as we live out our life, we learn. And that to me is the heart of, of what this practice is about. And we unlearn, we unlearn what's unskillful, what is harmful for ourselves. Sometimes we see it and we can't let go of it. And we keep doing it again and again and again. Okay, what do you do then? And in doing that, we make room for qualities that are inherent in us and also at the beginning behaviors that are more useful for there to be some room for them to develop and we cultivate them. Uh, the Buddha used uh, many schemes, many ways, classification systems. Probably those of you who've tried to read them, and maybe it's driving you crazy. The five this, the seven that, the eight this. Okay. So here's one more for you. The five balas, B-A-L-A, it's the five powers. You could see it as inner strength. Um, the first quality that the mind needs to direct is conviction. For example, if you're very new to this teaching and the practice, I don't see how you could have really strong conviction. Sometimes you get an intuition, and it may even turn out to be true. But for the most part, because you're new, you read a few books, a friend says it's good, and so forth, uh, it's it, faith, it's another word for it. But in, the, in Dharma teaching, the faith is provisional. We want faith to be confirmed in action. So you have to act. You can't just uh, walk around saying, I have faith, I believe in the Buddhist teaching, I think everything is empty and impermanent, and I feel great. That won't last very long. Okay. So, uh, the, but the conviction is necessary to launch things, to set things in motion. Then um, persistence. We need a, something in us as to have this, whether it's a strong urge, maybe it's fed up with suffering, maybe it's seeing very, very clearly how, how you've been living is not working too well for you, and you've made a strong commitment to, uh, to wiggle your way out of it one way or another, trying all kinds of things to improve the health of your body, that's helpful, etc. Conviction, effort, persistence, uh, that is sometimes called right effort. That means using your energy in skillful ways, directing your energy. We humans have that capacity in ways that uh, they're directed in ways that are beneficial for us and others. If we're already doing it, strengthen it. If we see ways that could be beneficial for us and for others, we're not doing it, learn how to do it and do it. If we see ways in which we're directing energy and it's destructive, Start to unlearn that. Learn how to let go of that. And don't pick up new bad habits where uh, we direct energy in ways that um, if you pay attention, you can see that what the outcome is, uh, is painful for you and for the people in your life. If you're, what, if you're happy, the people in your life have a happy person with them. If you're miserable, that's who they're with. We're all in this together. For example, a Dharma way of looking at, let's say, the Israeli, Palestinian, or any of these other, that is, the Palestinians can never be happy unless the Israelis are happy. But the Israelis can never be happy, and thus the Palestinians are, can be happy. 
So if they just understood that, duh, you know, they try to help each other be happy because it's in their best interest. And uh, let's say when 9-11 happened, I didn't hear too many questions, I must admit, after the shock and the pain and the sorrow of it, uh, I, I had some clarity, that, I don't think it was the same day, where I realized, what did we do that could make people so angry that they are willing to go to this length to destroy us? Rather than, these are all people who hate us because we're free. Somehow that didn't catch for me. Uh, somehow we're on the side of the angels and everyone else is a schmuck. Or worse, a, a lot worse. Okay, so, but that takes a mind that's already has that, uh, some freedom, some ability to examine things so it, in the interest of understanding rather than just being right. We make, when you start entering the path of self-knowing, self-understanding, uh, there's a saying in Dharma circles, self-knowledge is usually bad news. One of the things you start to see is the ideals you have don't necessarily match how you live. And some of the ideals and images you have of yourself get smashed into pieces. Now, at first, that can be very, very discouraging. The time comes, if you stick with this, that there's great joy in seeing through a delusion or in seeing through your own misperception. But that implies the ability to admit mistakes. Ego doesn't like to make mistakes or admit them. Ego doesn't like to apologize. Have you noticed that? You know, it's, there, there are no uh, guilty people in prisons. I think there are some innocent ones. But it's also outside of prison. Somehow, every, there's, everything is, it, my mommy, that's my problem because my mommy dropped me on my head or my daddy didn't take me to a baseball game. You know, and there are always these external reasons and they take the heat off us. We, we make mistakes in living. And... A re there's a real joy in committing yourself to self-understanding as an art. The wisdom is an art form. And uh, the joy, just like in any art, comes from, uh, let's say, if it's drawing, drawing something, a beautiful form. Or if you're a mathematician, solving an equation. There can be tremendous joy in that. And if you're committed to the art of living, it's when you learn something about, so even when you see uh, you see a way in which you are so deluded. Sometimes we do that in retrospect. We look back 10 years ago, you know, oh, when I was a teenager, ha, ha, ha. But we weren't able to do it while we were teenagers, and that's understandable. But this is more keeping up with the moment. The learning is fresh as much as we can. And there's tremendous energy comes from that. Okay, now, so that these five powers are one is conviction or faith, if you like. The other is perseverance. A third one is mindfulness. If you don't pay attention, none of this can happen. You have to pay attention. Out of that, the mind does get more concentrated. That means the mind gets stronger. And then the fifth strength is insight, discernment, wisdom. They all feed each other. They're just concepts, ways of helping you understand a healthy mind is devoted to doing things that um, are healthy, that are sane, that are wise. It wants to do them. It doesn't want to do, it's tired of doing things that are destructive because it sees it, not from a book or from a sermon,
but it actually sees that this way of living is not working. And it's first-hand learning. So no matter uh, what goes on, and who knows what awaits us, all of us, on this strange planet, uh, the practice is an attempt to enable us to be better prepared to land on our feet, to be, to be that one person, that one person who uh, remains calm on the boat and as a result has a good influence on everyone else. Now, Rumi is not talking about, this is where I often, I've seen even some commentaries, whereas the, the news, after, after talking about the world, and almost worse than how I depicted it, and I enjoy my life too, I just want to make sure that, it's not just about suffering. Do you see me as just a suffering person? Um, the news we hear is full of grief, for, the, for that future. But the real news inside here, and then he refers to that as the soft garden in here, is that there's no news at all. Now, that can be temporarily where you reside in this tremendous inner peace that's already there, stillness. It's not, you don't grow it. You don't cultivate it. It doesn't come from India. <laughs> You're born with it. You're born with it. But we're so preoccupied with the periphery, we're like water bugs, trying to fix up the surface of everything, running around to get a better me, a kinder me, a more gentle me, a more generous me, uh, but it's still in the same running around, same thing. This is to go a little bit deeper than that. But what Rumi is talking about is also that quality of inner peace is brought into the world. And that's part of the training in Dharma practice is as you go inside, if we're just going on retreats and sitting on cushions and just at home, if that's the only time you're happy, it would be a very limited life. We'd all be like hothouse plants. I've got to get over to CIMC because I can sit with everyone. Oh, nice feeling. In and out. Oh, I feel calm, nice. Then we go back out in that noisy, dirty world where people eat meat and they don't, they, they, they don't vote the way we vote. And, uh, this is, it's, as you know, CIMC was started with the intent of bringing all that into, as Zorba the Greek put it, the full catastrophe. <laughs> Let me put it another way. In a certain sense, the world exists in order to set us free. That's a weird way of looking at things. In other words, it's possible there are lessons being taught. That there aren't enough students signed up. Life is constantly teaching, even what's going on now, or no matter what is happening to you. There is something that can be learned from it. All wisdom teachings agree on that. That's real wisdom. It's not just quoting Confucius or Lao Tzu said. That's good at parties or cafes. But this is, has to be t is, is living wisdom. It is the way we, it's walking the talk, rather than just talking the talk. Do you remember that one, or are you not... If not, see, uh, steel, what is leather, a metal jacket, full metal jacket? Did anyone see that anti-war Vietnam movie? All right. You can see I'm dated. Um, so practice, now, even if there weren't all this other stuff going on, it's in the, the importance of self-knowing, of self-understanding, which grows not, of course, it can, it, it's tremendously helpful to take some time here and at retreat centers and at home, we have nothing else to do, no other responsibility but just to be with yourself. 
but then little by little, more and more, bring it into every aspect of your life. Bring that same quality of sensitivity, of attention, and a willingness to learn, rather than just judge. Okay, that's uh, beginnings of something. Uh, so I don't have a formula how you should be sane. I, I know during times of fear, perhaps there's a lot of fear now, more than maybe, before, I don't know, I can't compare it. Uh, there's always a yearning to get some, something, um, a shelter, some ideology, some meditation school, some teacher, some anything, just a shelter, so that we'll have the feeling of feeling secure, not necessarily being more secure, but feeling that we are. That's, a, that's something, too. But what I'm suggesting is that we have it within our own capacity, our own hands, to begin to start to learn about what it is to be each one of us, the, t the tools provided in Vipassana meditation or Zen or Tibetan or other yoga schools, etc. They're designed to help us do what some of these words are talking about because we need help. The mind needs to be stable. It needs to have conviction, uh, energy to, to really do it, and a sense of interest. If you're, not, if you're not that interested in this, well, nothing much is going to happen. It's your choice. Uh, this may sound harsh, but it's your life. It's as simple as that. It's my life. Each one of us has to decide how to live. This is suggesting that we humans have neglected self-understanding, wisdom, for a very long time. And we're paying an enormous price for it. I am not saying be great if, it, if, if this were true. I'm not saying if we all just march together in Vipassana, the planet will suddenly become paradise. I have no idea. I'm happy to take it one person out at a time, starting with me. And I hope you more and more take care of, learn how to take care of yourself. Okay. Um, there's a period where we can have some Q&A. I'd like to change the etiquette a little. Uh, this is just my... Some of you know, I think I don't know. Did was it mentioned that if you're not gonna, you can't if you decide to stay and not leave, anyone who has to leave now is a good time to leave. But if you want to stay, it's okay with me if you can't stay for the whole I don't know 20 minutes, half hour, whatever. Uh, if you have to get up in the middle because you have to catch a train or something, I, I won't be insulted, it's fine. Uh, whatever time you have to spare is good. If you have to leave now, then it's a good time to leave. And those of you who want to stay, uh, let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. You're welcome to stand and stretch and move. You've been sitting for quite a while. Get going. What's on anything we can talk over together? Please. I need to be brief, succinct, and to the point that it's not easy for me. I beg your indulgence. Well, you've already off to the wrong start. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, I want a chance just to say that um, I'm at ground zero with your talk this evening about beginning with the self awareness. What does ground zero mean? Do we agree? Yeah, it's the essential, like yes, the yes. essential beginning 
of the whole thing is there. Exactly. You know, that the ascent, and that's what in the two years I've been coming here, I've essentially learned. Good. That it's all, that, what the talk that you gave me, to, I'm not knowing how I apply it perfectly, but that's what I am trying to do day by day. Not on cushion, not on meditation. You know, not just in the meditation. Got it. Me, me too. Now, I have someone that I love very deeply. Yeah. And I don't know if this is the kind of a question that comes Tr- just with say the it, you know, just, you have given, but just throw it out. I'm not the person. Throw the question out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because when things happen, I look toward myself as the cause of the suffering because of clinging or expectations or whatever. I have an individual that everything is always somebody else's fault. He's always looking, and you said this in part of your talk about the people who look externally to the other place to find the reason why they're suffering. Yet they keep doing with different people or in different circumstances, essentially like mankind has done, the same way of, look, of solving the problems or looking at the problems. Now, you can't really look to advise people of what to do. You should go to the CIMC, that'll straighten you up. But it's hard in the relationship that I'm talking about to sit idly by and not trying to make that person more conscious about the need to do what you talked about tonight. Any yes, it's com- yes, it's very common with all of us. In fact, one of the things, you know, I, I've, over the years I've spoken to many couples, and it's very common for one person uh, to med- a meditator and the other one isn't. Okay. Right. My wife is not a meditator. Okay. I'm vegetarian, she's not. There's a whole long list of things. She was, she's born in Russia. I was born here. She doesn't know the most obvious. So uh, what the heck are we doing together? Uh, can a meditator and a non-meditator live happily together? Um, what I've found is the key thing is respect. Now, I'm going to get to what you're asking. Uh, that is, you have to respect this other person's right to not be as wise as you by coming to CIMC and doing, I, you know, etc. I am being a little bit sarcastic, but you understand. Um, and of course, for a friendship to happen, or a marriage, or a partnership, or uh, they have to respect your right to do this kind of work. Then, it, then I've seen it work. Typically, when it becomes a political football, it doesn't work out too well. But now here's so what to do, because it, certainly I'm not exempt. Uh, uh, sometimes I see ways in which people I love, my sister, uh, she doesn't have these resources and she has no interest at all in developing them. Uh, every time I, we visit with each other, should we go through the same exchange? Larry, what is this meditation? And my wife has told me, don't go through it. Any. So about 10 of, I'll go through a whole long thing, a mini Dharma talk, and she'll look very interested, and then and it's go, whoosh, whoosh. and then the next time it's the very same thing. She's not interested. Okay, but here's, 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 the, here's the piece that might be of some help. It has helped me and, and certainly some other people. You have a reaction to this other person, these people. People who are, let's say it's one person in particular, okay. You have a reaction and that reaction, you can't help that reaction. You feel badly for them, you feel impatient, you feel fresh, whatever you feel, for, but in a given moment. Don't 
instead of trying to be, uh, to give, make the ideal Buddhist action or compassionate action or whatever, the, you know, the, whatever is so good, uh, focus in on your re reaction that it's bothering you, that uh, it's frustrating, that you're annoyed with the person, that you feel sorry, you know, whatever it is you're feeling from moment to moment. It's not thinking about it. They come in your presence and you can see what's happening and you, and you have a reaction. Now, as, as the reaction is mechanical. It comes out of your conditioning. Okay, so if you're aware of the reaction, and a lot of practice in daily life is just that, it's becoming aware of how of our reactivity, which is automatic. It comes out of our our upbringing, our school system, our wounds, our joys, etc. If you're aware of it, that doesn't mean trying to eliminate it, but you're aware of it. Little by little, it loses its power, and then that creates a space. In that space, I don't know what you should say or do. Maybe nothing, but there's a but I have greater faith in the clear mind that replaces the reactivity uh, because out of that comes what you could call a response. A response is not mechanical. And sometimes, for example, here's one thing I had to learn with my wife. Uh, she would come home, she works in a hospital with a lot of very elderly, sick Russians who are in pain and complaining and etc. And then she comes home and, uh, and then uh, at times she'll start and then I have a beautiful Dharma talk, you know, to give her. And that's not what she wants. She just wants, some, she wants me to listen. And it took me, I don't know, two or three years, I finally learned. I said, oh, duh, you're not interested in my uh, immense storehouse of wisdom. What you, what you would like is to just be a good pr a person who cares to listen to her. And I talked to her, and she says, yes, that's exactly what, you know. So, so that, was, I, that was hard for me to learn how to do that because I'm, I'm in the fix, fixing things business. But I've learned that, do you see what I mean? Now, I don't, what might come out of the new space that you create by, by taking care of the reaction, it gets weaker with weaker and weaker as you do that, is maybe it's silence. Maybe you say the same thing that you've been saying for a few years, but the energy is different, and the person is much more able to listen. Or maybe you ask a fresh question to them that never occurred to you before. I don't know, but I trust that, that space. That's the beginner's mind that some of you have read about, the don't-know mind. It's a freshness. Rather than coming out of uh, you know, all of our formulas and recipes for what would be good for that. Do you see what I'm getting at? I want exactly. In fact, the reason that I've asked for this kind of insight into how to help this person, that's my desire is to try to help, is that I haven't said anything. I haven't reacted. I've created that exact space, and I'm kind of drawn back from it. I do understand how I feel. But, you, but you're having the reaction inwardly anyway. Otherwise, it sounds like it. It sounds like a lot of frustration well, there. because I, I see that there have been so many decisions that have been made that have been very hurtful. The outcomes that he wanted I got it. Coming. I understand. And but here's, see, here's, I'm sorry to interrupt. Now there are other people involved in the life that are going to get caught in a crossfire, like a spaghetti western, you know, the same kind of themes. Okay, but here's what I'm saying. The fact that you restrain yourself, okay. that's one extreme. The other extreme is a person just re reacts verbally all the time or physically. Uh, the other is you restrain yourself. But the reactivity is still going on, and it's building up in you. And you want something else. Okay, now, so that whether you express it verbally or physically or not, be, practice with the reactivity. That opens the mind up 
I don't know what's next. Okay. Uh, but, but you're in a better position. Here's what I've found. There's a better chance of what comes out of your mind, maybe even depicting your view of what's going on with other people, uh, that is kinder and wiser. But no guarantees. Do you see what I'm saying? Please. Uh, Larry, my question is about when you talked about full catastrophe living. Yes. And the whole idea of what, how I was drawn into the practice, which for me was to come to a place where I could have a refuge and I could be safe from all of the conflicts that arise from the insane world. From I understand. Mm -hmm. I see that I'm really not doing the walk. I'm not walking into the full catastrophe. I'm, I'm, I'm escaping it. Yes. I feel like I'm doing something good because I'm in Cambridge and I'm sitting here and I'm working on meditating. You and are so doing something good. It's just it's uh, somewhat limited, that's all. Right. And, and uh, what's happening is I go, let's say I go on Fridays in therapy to work on forming an identity because I'm one of those people that really has a hard time with identity. Good, I hope you and get I, one. And I, I get one on Friday when I go into therapy. And then Terrific. And nights I lose it when I come to a dark <laughs> <laughs> Look, you could save us. I don't know what you pay your therapist, but you could save yourself a lot of money. Don't go to get this identity. Just be a nobody. <laughs> but I, 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 I know I'm being a wise guy here. Stop. But go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Yes. And I was told today by someone, someone I consider a very wise person, that um, you know I have I have scheduled surgery, but the advice this person gave me was, don't have the surgery, start living your life, and your body will take care of the rest. Which sounds simplistic. And he said, I'm not. He said, he really said, I'm not telling you to never have the surgery. I'm just telling you to immerse yourself in life. And in the problems of living, a little bit more, and see what happens. And so I'm hearing him say that, and I'm hearing you say, walk the walk, full catastrophe living. Don't make it so black and white. I'm not a medical expert. You may need to have the surgery, despite what this other person said. I honestly don't know, and I'm not sure this other person knows. They may be correct. Sometimes, but look, here's all, uh, let me, uh, let's start with the fact that you enjoy coming to the safety of, let's say, a CIMC and places like it. Uh, it's nice to have an oasis somewhere in this world, which sometimes feels awfully barren, a, a nice place. Let's not, I don't mean to uh, uh, discredit that. Uh, and everyone, um, personally, I have learned, I wasn't always so tolerant, I've learned to respect everyone's path as quite unique and, your, and also what you want from the practice. And one person may just want that. Some of that will spill over into daily life anyway. It has to. You have more energy, you're a little bit more optimistic, you see a little bit more clearly. But um, the, the full um, wisdom practice 
takes advantage of that, keep doing it by all means. If you like, do more of it. But if you attach to it, then you create a separation between that and then the rest of life. And if that works for you, I'd be quite surprised. Yeah, I know. So that um, it's not one versus the other. For example, CIMC was started. I'm just giving you my moat because I started. I'm guilty of starting this place. Okay. Uh, because having done lots of long silent retreats in Asia and here, I mean months on end, and seeing that people, including myself, uh, we would become very uh, intoxicated with the tremendous peace and joy of leaving all of this stuff behind and just going off to some beautiful mountain in Korea or Japan or wherever, or here and a Barry and you know just uh, with uh, nice people and there's silence so no one can become a pain in the whatchamacallit for each other and you know um, and that was great and a lot got accomplished and I also noticed that when we'd come off uh, that people would then life would be devoted to uh, get uh, earning enough money to go back for the next long retreat <laughs> and wearing those retreats like combat ribbons you know sort of a desert storm, uh, Iraq, you know, a three-month retreat of 1983, four, uh, five months in uh, Korea, you know, etc., wearing them down here, and uh, most of life is passing them by. It's possible to be non, it's a kind of non-hospitalizable schizophrenia. Okay, it doesn't work, in short. Unless you are, become, look, there are people who devote, there are people who are born contemplatives, I've spent time with a few, a hermit in Korea. Um, they live out their whole life in a cave. They're not coming back. They are incredibly happy there. Okay, now, uh, I did my best to draw out this person. They're practicing in the cave. How many people here want to live out the rest of their life in a cave? I don't think so. Okay, now, I'm a second hermit I spent time with, it's good that he was in his cave. It was, it was a hut, not so way up in the mountains, because he was un, unbearably uh, neurotic. And uh, to inflict him on people, and also he could, they couldn't live with him, uh, so he knew enough to like stay out of trouble by being with... The first guy was really at peace. Okay, so you have to find your own way, but it's the, uh, the fact is most of your life is going to be lived with... It's people, isn't it? Okay, uh, this is the crucial... Um, I'm sorry, I didn't have time to get to this. The, the we, uh, many spiritual paths, including this, are very, in my opinion, are very, very colored by the monastic approach, which has dominated Buddhism for thousands of years. Okay. In that approach, the main people, not exclusively, there have always been lay people who've lived full lives with families and all the rest, and have also gotten enlightened. But predominantly, it has been monks mainly monks and some nuns, who have lived a very specialized life. And um, when that, and they've gotten into that because, maybe all of us come to this practice because of relationship. It's sort of, we're, we're wounded. Uh, relationship is a battlefield, whether it's nations with each other or religions with each other or us with each other, you know, partners with each other, etc. 
we don't seem to have, know how to do that. That's what I was trying to say. So let's get out of here. Let's go off to a mountain, to a cave, or get lost in activities. So, but we don't seem to understand the importance of learning. For example, one of my a wonderful teacher named, uh, I'd rather not use his name, and he would, he would talk about lay life this way. He'd say like, well, there's all this suffering I hear about marriage, and in spite of that, all these lay people, they just jump up and volunteer for the job, you know. Um, but what, but which, and then some of the younger ones, because I, I lived with monastics, celibate and so forth. I was not, a, I've never been a monk, but I have spent extended periods of time living in that community and living like them temporarily. And it's very functional for them to see relationship as it's hopeless, everything is hopeless, the planet is hopeless, sex is ridiculous, it's all, because that justifies the choice they've made. It makes it easier for them to remain celibate, i.e., I ain't missing anything, okay? So it's functional for them. They've made a choice, and for some of them it works out beautifully, not for all. People have romantic views about monks or nuns. Uh, some use that, they're born for it, in my opinion. Okay, so here we are, if we're lay people, and we really, we're not just here to support, you know, to give food, medicine, clothes, and shelter to the people who are really doing it. We want to do it ourselves. We want to suffer less. We, we don't want to just uh, chant and bow to, the, to famous monks and then go home feeling that we're blessed and taken care of. I, don't, I haven't seen that work too much. Although you may believe in it, I don't. Okay, so we can't run away from relationship. We have no choice because our life is made up of relationship. So we need a new attitude, a totally different attitude. And it exists in Dharma. It's sort of, it's um, a bad situation is a good situation. Or in uh, another way of putting it is that by which we humans fail is also that by which we can succeed but it's a radical change in attitude. You have to start seeing that the very difficulty of, let's say, work or relationship or whatever it is for you, uh, you have to really take it on. And, it's, and you're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna fail over and over again, but you have to understand, uh, I, I've been at it for a while. I hope I'm to some degree walking my talk. Am I completely walking my talk? Probably not. I don't know if anyone can. It's hard but is a, a tremendously rich relationship in, as a teacher to, to yourself if you're willing to learn and not just stuck in being right all the time and, you can, and learning how to apologize and how to more and more, because my problem, there's only one problem that I have and that problem is Larry. Uh, it would be a much better world without Larry. Much better, certainly for me and for anyone in my world. So I'm working on, but you can't kill it if I try to kill Larry. That's just the ego saying, all right, you want to kill Larry? Great, I'll do whatever you want as long as I run the joint. That's the ego, it's brilliant. So it's more getting to understand it and, and sort of taking some of the power out of it and even some, some, some of the thrusts in life need a kind of centered ego. It's fine, we don't have to crucify ourselves. Wrong choice, but anyway. Um, so, yes, but maybe re-enter slowly. Take on something, like some difficulty you have. But uh, some people just don't do that. 
And I, 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 I can just tell you what I think. I think we have no choice since most of our life is relationship. But if you decide you just want to give your best to sitting at home and sitting here and going to retreat centers and then the heck with this, and, and it's your life, it's fine with me. So that everyone relates to it to the degree to which they can. Uh, I'm with the Greeks. I think it's Socrates, I'm pretty sure. He said the main question we face is, how is one to live? Each of us face that question, how are we to live? And we've been brought up, this is how you should live, and then mindlessly we just do it. Okay. Uh, typically, if you really start to go into this, you really, you've broken from that. You realize you start to look at something that has been taken for granted. You haven't examined it because you don't realize how much of it has just been handed to you from your parents, the school system, the culture, and so forth. And maybe it's fine, and you keep doing it, but in a different way. And maybe it isn't what you want, how you want to live at all. But the question never goes away. How is one to live? And this is designed to help us do that, but not in an abstract way. By You start by how do we actually live? How do you actually live? How do I actually live? And you, you start there, and you, be, and you end there. It, like, the first step is the last step, because it keeps being like that. It's not like you become perfect. Maybe some people become perfect. I haven't met them yet. Some are called great masters, great gurus. I have, they, I didn't see it, but, you know, I'm from Brooklyn and we're warped. <laughs> you know, we just, Missouri too, I think. And I'm from Missouri, never sat, anyone here from Missouri? I don't want anyone to sue me, wrong speech, and all that. It's a compliment, actually. I'm bragging. Okay. Do you see what I'm getting at? It's up to you. But I think, uh, don't throw away the good part. Now, then you're still left with, should I undergo surgery or not? Okay. Look, I can't, I don't know. I don't expect you to answer No, no, but I'm, I'm exploring how you might help yourself answer it. First of all, your friend gave you this advice. And that must bring up something in you. Maybe it's a relief. Then, oh, great, I don't have to do surgery. I just have to go out and do that. Uh, and then maybe when you go out and do that, you see that, wow, that's uh, really hard to do. And then you say, maybe I should do surgery. You could spend months going back and forth. Okay. We all have the same mind. Okay, so what you may find out is that also, if you have fear of doing the surgery, uh, face that fear because then you may be all that eager to hear all kinds of advice that enable you to not do the surgery when you really should. I have no idea. That's what I meant by, I trust a, a clear mind. Uh, whatever comes out of that, much more than any friend, even well-meaning, your own, it's your decision, it's your life. And if you see your reactivity to the surgery, to his or her suggestion, etc., there's a clearer space that emerges. That's what our practice is about. And I trust what can come out of that, the decision. But life is, uh, you know, it's big. Well, well, that's why I asked you the question, because I don't want to enter into the walk with an expectation. Mm -hmm. I want to do it for its own sake. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say, if I start taking on this problem or that problem, then maybe I'm going to get better. I don't want to do that. I just want to do... Yes. Okay, you're saying something very, very big, and I, uh, some of you I know are tired. It's okay. been a longer day. No, no, it's not you. It's, it's that we, you know, we'll, at a certain point we have to. Yeah. Okay. I um, 
I'm sorry, bring me back. Uh, it's an early stage of senility. What were you just saying? Just bring me back to that. Okay, I, I don't want to enter into going more into... I got it. I, I remembered now. I remembered now. Uh, life is for living. Isn't that the most obvious thing? Why are we alive? It's to live. Okay, but so often what we do is we live in order to. I'll do this in order to get a promotion. I'll do that to get this. I'll do this. In the meantime, the actual experience of living, of being alive, is bypassed. That's why there's all this emphasis on be here now, the now, be in the power now, now, now. What is, you know, it's, it's, what's so great about now? Well, it's all we have. There's nothing else. Okay, and it has, and now has infinite depth. If you, so the practice is really more and more preferring to live in the now, which is a fact, than all kinds of stuff uh, about an imaginary future or some reconstructed past. Um, and that means just living for living's sake. And the learning that comes out of that does liberate you. So you don't have to have this big program, I'm here, I'm just going to get, is this freeing me, is that freeing me? Because the, uh, the, every moment when you're fully aware, awake, it's a moment of being free. In moments when we're grasping, holding on, pushing away, fighting, in conflict, struggling, we're enslaved. We're... One, one last anything, if there is. Please. Um, you said something uh, like, to the effect that this is what it's all about. I did? Also, how we're living. To be experiencing uh, a loneliness here. And so, uh, well, just that, that just struck me as that, that a direction or, or what something to be trying to do um, from moment to moment. But you see, you don't have to look for loneliness or for fear. It, you know, uh, if it's there, then that's what you practice with. Why? Because it's there. That's what the present moment is. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.